You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this week, of course, co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will, last week, we focused on Billy Napier's offense. This week, we focus on Patrick Tony's defense. And we know there was still some question, Will, as of about a couple weeks ago, was Patrick Tony going to be the sole play caller of the defense? And then Billy Napier cleared that up for us, that he is going to be the play caller for the defense. So that did clear us up a bit to do. And you and I had kind of started this uh, bit of research on Patrick Tony some, some time ago. We've been kind of passing back and forth. But offense last week, defense this week. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think everybody – Hopefully got a good flavor for what Florida's going to do on offense based on our discussion last week. And, you know, that's sort of the place where I think most fans look at. And, you know, it's interesting when Dan Mullen took over, it was clear he needed to fix the offense. I think now with uh, Billy Napier taking over and Patrick Tony taking over, it's pretty clear that there are some things on the defensive side of the ball that need to be fixed and need to be uh, – Need to be buttoned up, I guess we would say. And certainly the former defensive coordinator for Florida uh, got quite a bit of ire last year. And, you know, you give up, what, 52 points or whatever it was against Samford, and there's plenty of room for improvement. So, you know, that's going to be a big part of what we talk about is what what's different between Todd Grantham and Patrick Toney, their philosophies, what they're trying to do, and then sort of, um, you know, what, what you can expect to see because we are going to need to see some sort of defensive improvement this year in order to see Florida take a step forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, a lot of this is you know what these guys have you know, going dating back to Billy Napier and Patrick Tony now is what they've done at Louisiana. That's what we'll. That, that's what we have to go by. That's the defensive coordinator for Patrick Tony. That's the only place he's been a defensive coordinator. Billy Napier is the only time he's been a head coach there at Louisiana. So, we're kind of just looking at you know the, these last couple of years for Patrick Tony, the last four years for Billy Napier. And, you know, we'll see what, what changes. I think some things will change. You get a, a big talent upgrade, of course, no surprise there, and some more experience uh, to, to go along uh, with these two guys. So Patrick Tony, 
of course, only been the defensive coordinator the last two years at Louisiana. Uh, we'll get into a bit of his history just a bit before we dive into his defense here. But before we get started, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. I love you. A lot of you watching live right now. Thank you so much. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, get those notifications when there's a new Gators breakdown, and check us out the home of Gators Breakdown, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. So, uh, well, of course, Patrick Tony enters his first season with the Gators after being hired as Florida's co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Let's not forget that part of it as well. In his bio from Florida, Patrick Tony spent four seasons at the University of Louisiana on Napier staff where he served as the Raging Cajuns defensive coordinator the last couple of seasons. In addition to coaching safeties from 2018 to 2020 and outside linebackers this past season. During his two seasons as defensive coordinator at Louisiana, Tony helped the Raging Cajuns to two Sun Belt championships. In year one, his first season, 2020, Tony's guidance. Look, they kicked that season off versus Iowa State and held a pretty good Iowa State offense uh, in, in check to, kick, to, to uh, kick off the 2020 season. So in year one, under Tony's guidance, the Louisiana defense set the tone ranking fourth in the Sun Belt, 31st nationally in scoring defense, 22 points per game, while also ranking fourth in the league and 33rd nationally in total defense. In 2021, last season, Tony's defense finished first in the conference in scoring defense, 18.3 points a game, and tied for ninth nationally while ranking fourth in passing defense in the league, giving up 2,589 yards. Before arriving at Louisiana, Tony spent two seasons as a safety coach at UTSA, University of Texas San Antonio. In 2017, the Roadrunners defense ranked seventh among FBS programs, allowing 287.8 yards per game. The team finished eighth in scoring defense at 17 points per game, second in first downs defense, and 19th in passing efficiency. In his first year in San Antonio, he helped lead the Roadrunners to six wins in the program's first-ever bowl game in the 2016 New Mexico Bowl. Prior to that, Tony spent 2015 season as a secondary coach at Sam Houston State, helping the Bearcats to an 11-4 and record. So, Will worked under Ron Roberts when Ron Roberts um, was head coach at Southeast Louisiana. Roberts then became the defensive coordinator under Billy Napier, at Louisiana, where Roberts brought Tony with him as an assistant. Roberts left to take the defensive coordinator job under Dave Aranda at Baylor. Kind of weird, though, because Dave Aranda, Carl Scott, Pete Golding, all a part of Ron Roberts' coaching tree, but then he goes to, uh, you know, kind of reverse fortunes there. He goes with his, one of his former assistants to go to, to Baylor and be defensive coordinator under Aranda there. But, you know, that's like co- that coaching tree. Or once, and then once Ron Roberts left, Louisiana, Billy Napier brought him in. He was a defensive coordinator in 2018, 2019. He leaves. Billy Napier elevates Tony to co- to defensive coordinator. But, you know, Ron Roberts has that reputation of uh, being ahead of the curve, uh, a great teacher. Tony's also garnered those same qualities there. He's his own guy. He's changed the defense a bit, um, keeping up with modern offenses. Uh, and that's one thing you and I have really talked about kind of behind the scenes is keeping up with these RPO offenses. We'll get into that a bit too. Uh, but uh, – Learned under Ron Roberts at the that you know for his defense. That's kind of the base core of it is learning from uh, Ron Roberts and that coaching tree. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We, I was watching something where Tony was teaching a bunch of different coaches things, and one of the things he said was, avoid always and never. That was one of the big things that he said in there, <laughs> and I think that is music to both of our ears, right, and really the fan base's ears it should be as well, that you know, avoid always and never. You, so you're always open to changes. You're always open to suggestions. You're always open to is there a better way to do things, and is there a better way to do things given the players that you have on the field? And that's going to be the thing that's sort of interesting to see when Tony takes over is that he's going to have a whole different set of athletes and a whole different set of players and a whole different set of challenges in the SEC. And what does he do? You know, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, you think about Dan Mullen coming to the coming to Florida from Mississippi State. He knew what he was getting into, at least on the offensive side of the ball when it came to uh, when it came to the SEC, came to running his offense there. What he wanted, you know, the players he wanted to recruit and those sorts of things. It's going to be new for for both Billy Napier and Patrick Tony, but certainly they've got a pretty decent set of talent here in, in Gainesville to start with, and. I expect them to be able to do some things that maybe they couldn't do at Louisiana because of some of the gifts that, that some of these players have in terms of speed, in terms of just general ability and the ability to cover, because that is one of the keys of these of, of his defense is there's going to be an awful lot of coverage back behind the defensive linemen who are or the the rushers, not necessarily the defensive linemen, but the four guys who are rushing the quarterback. And uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of mix and match the guys who've been on the team already. And then the guys who are uh, the new additions, guys like Kamari Wilson and, and those sort of those sorts of guys, see how often they get out on the field and get some opportunities to play, because this is going to be a very secondary focused defense. Um, you know, there's a reason why they were going after all kinds of safeties in this recruiting class. Part of it, it was those were the guys who were available. Part of it is, is that's going to be a big part of what they do on the back end is having guys who can cover and come up and help and run support. Yep, only a defensive coordinator for two years, uh, of course, but then comes over uh, with Billy Napier to, to be the defensive coordinator at Florida. But real thought to be a, a fast riser in the coaching ranks is uh, Patrick Tony. And there was some thought, you know, if um, nothing happened at Louisiana and the coaching staff changed the same, if Billy Napier didn't get a, a bigger job, that uh, I believe it was Texas Tech would have been interested uh, in Patrick Tony and bringing him on board. Uh, there, so you know, there was some some whispers there uh, going about that. But let's take a look at the last couple years or last few years since 2018. Uh, Billy Napier, his time at Louisiana, but also Patrick Tony, as I mentioned, he took over in 2020. The last couple seasons here, so we'll start with the most recent season: 18.1 points per game at ranked ninth in the country. Offenses were running 66.7 plays per game on Patrick Tony's defense given up only four yards per rush, only 6.49 yards per pass attempt, only given up 5.1 yards per play this past season. 2020, even better in some regards. Points per game was ranked 28th, given up 22 points per game, 72.3 plays per game were ran on the Patrick Tony defense in 2020, given up 4.3 yards per rush, 5.78 5.78 yards per pass. So, you know, 2020 was better there. Only giving up 4.9 yards per play in 2020. That was Patrick Tony's first season as defensive coordinator under Billy Napier. And that was an improvement on 2019. 2019, 20.8 points per game. So, points per game, you know, the, 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 that was pretty good under Ron Roberts in his last season there at Louisiana. Um, it went up to 22 in Patrick Tony's first year. Uh, but it was ranked 20th there in 2019. 68.1 plays per game were ran against the Louisiana defense in 2019. 4.5 yards per rush, 6.75 yards 
per attempt there, but 5.5 yards per play. So Tony did improve that in his first season. It went from 5.5 in 2019 to 4.9 in 2020 and 5.1 in 2021. But Ron Roberts in that first season at Louisiana, well, you tell that Wills, they had a lot of work there, <laughs> giving up 35 and a half points per game. That was good for 106th in the country. So it was a big jump for them. Still a defense Patrick Tony was involved in as a safeties coach there. Uh, and But you, you saw the improvement uh, from 2018 to 2019, especially if you're watching the YouTube version. you got the, the uh, chart here. But you know, 2018, not great. They were giving up 6.3 yards per play uh, in 2018 as well. As I said, the points per game, 35 and a half, good for 106. And they jumped up to 20th points per game in 2019. In 2020, Patrick Tony's first year, up to 28th ranking in points per game, and then ninth this past season. Yeah, I, I wouldn't pay a ton of attention to the points per game other than it's heading in the right direction, right? To go from 106th yep. to 20th to 28th to 9th. The defense took a major step forward from 19 to 20 when Tony went from safeties coach to defensive coordinator. And the way you can tell that is by looking at that yards per play. Yep. Um, you know, that that to drop the yards per attempt in the passing game a full yard is a significant, significant drop. And they went from 6.75 down to 5.78 in terms well, of especially, yards per especially in today's game yeah absolutely and so you know that that's a significant drop and and look the points went up a little bit but that's oftentimes a function of the offense leaving you in worse field position or the offense having turnovers or something like that and you know the fact that he was able to maintain that in 2021 says something because you know i only looked at fbs numbers so you take out all the cupcakes yeah. and all the fcs teams and i had them at 4.8 yards per attempt for or yards per play in both uh, 2021 and 2020 and that that ranked 15th and 16th in the country in all of fbs so you're looking at the top 15 defense uh, both in 2020 and 2021 with a defense that was kind of 50th in 2019 at that five and a half yards per play and then 113th in 2018. So certainly he's overseen a defense that's gone from bad to good over the course of three or four years. But I do think it's significant that it jumped in terms of his efficiency when Roberts left and went to Baylor. That's not necessarily a swipe at, at Roberts, but I do think that there is an advantage to having somebody who's younger and maybe more aggressive making those play calls once you uh, – you know, once you sort of all the wisdom and experience helps when it comes to game planning. But I do think there's a little bit of, you know, riverboat gambling that probably goes on when you're a little bit younger trying to prove yourself. And I think that may have been what we see in this 2019 to 2020 transition when Tony took over as coordinator. Well, let's go to the next part of the stats here. I really wanted to look at and whoo, look at that one. Turnovers. It was somewhere we if you've listened to Gators Breakdown. If you've watched the Gators the last couple of years, you know it has been a sore spot for the Florida defense. Started out well under Todd Grantham in creating turnovers, but did not end well the last couple of years. But last year, Patrick Tony's defense, 2021 season, 23 turnovers. That was good for 21st in the country. Florida, in that same year, last year, only created 13 turnovers. So 10 less than Louisiana. Florida ranked 102nd in turnover rank last year in causing turnovers. Not all that great. In 2020, 23 turnovers again for the Louisiana defense. That was good for fourth best in the country. Florida in 2020 only called 16. That was seven less. That was good for 42nd. Not terrible, but of course you saw what the first couple years Grantham was able to do. Florida in 2018, 
ranked 11th with 26 turnovers, ranked 20th in 2019 with 23 turnovers. Uh, but there was – Will, there's the big, massive jump there. If you want to go look at Louisiana, comparing Ron Roberts to Patrick Tony, a huge jump in turnovers overall. 2019, not bad for Louisiana either. 19 turnovers, that was good for 48th in the country. Uh, but in 2018, 15 turnovers, that was good for 100th uh, there. So improvement in the turnovers, but uh, it's just a staple. 23 turnovers the last two years apiece for Patrick Tony in this defense. Yeah, the interesting thing is, is when you look at sacks per game or sack rate, it's not like Louisiana is really all that high. In 2021, I've got them ranked 43rd, so two and a half sacks a game, which obviously is better than what Florida had last year because Florida wasn't necessarily all that great. But actually, Florida was 31st. They were 2.8 last year. So Florida was still getting to the quarterback. They just weren't necessarily causing that or they weren't converting that into turnovers. And I think that's going to be a big theme when we talk about it tonight in terms of what Patrick Tony considers a win. And I think one of the things, getting that free rusher to the quarterback and getting the sack has always been considered a win. And I think that's been one of the things that started to change in, in defensive circles, especially over the last five or six years, where a win is no longer getting a sack on the quarterback. A win is causing enough havoc that the quarterback turns the ball over. And that's, that's I think, what you're seeing here in 2020 and 2021. And really what you're seeing at Florida as well, right? That Grantham was able to dial up blitzes, was able to dial up um, you know, looks that were able to get Florida to the quarterback, but he wasn't able to do it consistently. And so you weren't necessarily moving the quarterback off of his spot. And, you know, we talked about this often last year. How many times did we see a defensive tackle driving the guard or the center back into the quarterback and making him throw the ball off his back foot? last year for Florida. I mean, it was it was few and far between when we saw those sorts of things. And so um, those are the things you got to hope for that based on some of the changes and some of the scheme that Tony's going to have. And then also just some of the coaching and having players know their assignments a little bit better, that that will cause more of the, the yeah. movement of the quarterback, more questioning of the quarterback in terms of where to go. And then obviously you factor in the the reality that that Florida tended to play off quite a bit, um, especially over the last couple of years. And so that limits your turnovers as well. If the little hitch is there and you can take the hitch and it gets you seven yards, you know, why not do it? And, and I, I suspect that uh, Tony is going to take that away, at least when he needs to, he's going to take that away. All right, Will, so basically three, four base defense with a nickel. Look, that's not much different than what we saw uh, under Todd Grantham as far as alignment goes and, and you know, what kind of defense you have out there. It can go four down if he needs to, if the personnel has to be out there, if, you know, for what the opposing offense is doing. He's he's shown the adaptability in doing so. We'll get to that. Uh, but also been able to keep up with modern offenses, their RPO offenses, because not really all that exotic up front, basically kind of disguise pressure and coverage from the same look, a lot of it post-snap changing the picture for the quarterback, kind of going to your point there, Will, about you know, creating turnovers right there, uh, making them think they're going to see one look, surprise the quarterback with a completely different coverage. But, Will, there's something at the base of all that. And you and I, you watch this video uh, on, on YouTube, and Patrick Tony, he threw this out, teaching progression. And this is what he throws out. And there's the graphic right here. It's a uh, triangle right here, you know, pyramid there on YouTube if you're watching that. But at the bottom, the base of it, takeaways, tackling, block destruction. Says if you can't do these three things, then you can't be a successful defense. So from there, defense moves to alignment. And he, he for the players, it's what is our alignment? 
tempo offenses are built to get the defenses off the alignment. Priority number one is to get proper alignment. Well, that, that seems like, that seems like it might be important. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. We, we, I mean, for the last couple of years with the music to our years, I mean, we couldn't get guys lined up, couldn't get the call in from the sideline on time. I mean, Florida was all. If you look at the lowest denominator, you know, besides the basics there for Patrick Tony, if you look at the lowest denominator for him about what you have to do, the last couple of years, Florida's defense was. And look, we look. We're not breaking any news here. We we knew this, but already starting off on the wrong foot. Well, I mean, so the Grantham triangle was upside down, apparently, because <laughs> takeaways, tackling, and block destruction, boy, that LSU game, not exactly a, uh, an exemplary example of those sorts of things. And and obviously the alignment issues, particularly during the COVID year there in 2020, really reared its ugly head. And And so, yeah, I mean, look, I think one of the things we talked about was holding people accountable and you can't hold people accountable if you're not clearly communicating what they need to do and clearly communicating what you think is important. And if Patrick Tony walks into the locker room and shows this to his defensive guys, the first day, they know that if they blow an assignment, but they're, or if they, if they do the right thing from an assignment perspective, but they blow the alignment that Tony's going to hold them responsible. Right. And if they've got the assignment and the alignment correct, but they miss a tackle, he's going to hold them responsible. Um, you know, whereas, you know, maybe you can work on technique up there a little bit higher, but if you get the guy to the ground, you're aligned correctly, you're doing your right assignment and you sort of go all down, all up, all up this pyramid. Well, then you can forgive little technique issues and those sorts of things. You can work on that stuff. So it's really sort of, in my mind, I like the fact that the triangle, the image here is that you sort of got a wide cone, right? That you've got a lot of things at the base that are very important. And then you start sort of ticking off these things as you go up further and further. And, you know, look, it may be that you get to alignment and assignment and, and that's where you got to stop because you got a lot of teaching to do there. And that'll be the question is how much teaching needs to be done in order to get these guys up to speed on the scheme and what they're going to try to do. Because one of the things he he has, I've heard him say multiple times, is he wants to make the same things look different and yep. different things look the same. And so making sure that everybody understands their alignment, and their assignment, and then understands how that changes while making it look very similar to the quarterback is is really the key to the defense. And so is he going to be able to get that all the way through this year, or is it going to take a little bit of time? You would hope that it would be something you'd be able to move through pretty quickly because you've got quite a bit of experience, especially in the secondary. The guys in the secondary have played quite a bit. And so it's not necessarily, you know, those guys aren't going to be people who are intimidated by playing in the SEC or playing on the road. It'll be, you know, keeping them focused on following this pyramid. But I think it's a good representation of sort of the teaching philosophy that Patrick Tony brings to the table. Yeah, well, and look, this is not to meant, and this is not meant to be a trash Todd Grantham episode. You know, that's not what, but you know, we we do have to compare. That's what needs to be done just a bit here. And how many times were we able to telegraph blitzes uh, for Todd Grantham defense? I mean, you even knew where the blitzes were coming from uh, a lot of the time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this kind of goes into uh, part of that too. But you know, priority number one, as we said, get proper alignment. Once you know your alignment, what is your assignment? That is the next step. What is a defender's job in that specific defense? From there, once you're aligned and then you know your job, the key is the tool to get the job done. There's a primary key, a secondary key. Primary is the focus to tell a defender if the play is run or pass. Then the secondary key will confirm run or pass. 
Technique is the next step, but Tony says that doesn't matter if you're not aligned. Don't know your assignment or reading the wrong key. So, Will, really what this boils down to, the mental side comes first. If you, you know, the, the mental side of this really comes first. If, if your alignment, your assignment, you're not reading your keys right, it doesn't matter how good of an athlete you are. doesn't matter your technique. If you don't have the mental side of it, you're not going <laughs> to be successful. You're never going to get to the finish. And that's what we'll conclude. Uh, that's what Patrick Tony concludes this with is the finish. How is the defender going to finish? It goes back to the foundation. Is the defender going to finish with a takeaway slash pass breakup? a tackle, or a block destruction. It all boils down to get the mental parts first, then the physical technique and finish part. Yeah, so I take umbrage to one thing you said there, which is I do think this is going to kind of be a trash Grantham session just because, I mean, look, <laughs> okay, the last two years – It wasn't meant to be when we uh, hashed this thing out. <laughs> well, I'm just saying the last two years has been some of the worst defense I've seen yes. for a Florida team play. Um, and so there's a lot of fixing to do. And, and where they need to fix is a little bit different. In fact, I think Grantham kind of fixed some of the holes in 2020 and then some new ones opened up in, in 2021. And, and that's going to be the challenge for Napier and the challenge for Tony. Um, the thing I really like about the primary key and the secondary key is that, especially in this world with RPOs, mm -hmm. you can't just go on primary keys because if you're reading the hat of the offensive lineman and you see it go down so you think it's a run, you see it go up so you think it's a pass, you can be tricked very easily because there are plays that are designed to look like runs that all of a sudden become passes. And there are plays where, quite honestly, the offensive line plays it like a run until the quarterback decides to pull it and throws an RPO. So making sure that the players understand their primary key and their secondary key and even talk specifically about snapping the head that you can see the player on tape and you can see this a little bit if you go and look at Louisiana, especially early in the year, you can see the defensive backs, they actually snap from like their primary key to their secondary key. You can see their heads move. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting sort of look into the type of stuff that Tony's teaching because you can see the guys processing it, especially early in the year. But again, I think that's really important that the corners and the safeties especially are looking at that and able to pick up that it's an RPO or able to pick up that it's a read option or able to pick up that it's a play action fake and those sorts of things. So not just having that primary key, but having the secondary one is a big deal when it comes to teaching guys. And again, that sort of comes to, if you're not aligned correctly, how can you be focusing on your primary key? And if you don't know what your assignment is, how can you know what your primary key and your secondary key are? And so when we saw guys moving around a couple of years ago where they weren't aligned correctly and, you know, all of a sudden there's some blown coverage somewhere, well, no wonder, right? I mean, they're not aligned correctly. They can't possibly know the assignment. What are you keying on at that point? You're just sort of freelancing. And then, you know, obviously if you're struggling with tackling and then that LSU game, I think they definitely struggle with block destruction. You combine all those things together and that's how you end up with a, with a defense that's unsuccessful. Again, I think some of it is, you know, you get, so it doesn't take more than one guy to be out of position for the whole thing to fall apart. Right. Right. And, and that's the other aspect of this that I think we're going to mean, a lot of defense, is, right? Right. A lot of defense is team aspect. You, you have to be able to trust the other 10 guys on the field. Absolutely. And you can see, so again, alignment, assignment, and keys. 
And the thing that Tony's going to have to hold people responsible for is, you know, if you, if the guy next to you isn't in the proper alignment, say something to him, but it's not your job to fix that. It's your job to do your, to, to be in your proper alignment, to do your proper assignment and, and key on what you key on. And then you got to trust that the coaches are going to pull the guys out if they don't do those things appropriately. And that's where the discipline really starts to come in, not just from the standpoint of, oh, that guy screwed up, he got pulled off the field, but that you're going to hold them accountable so that you know the guy next to you is going to be held accountable, but you know that you're going to be held accountable as well. And I think that's going to be a big part of it. So it's not just, oh, we taught them the assignment. It's what are the consequences when you don't do your assignment because you not doing that assignment means the guy next to you can't trust you. And when the guy can't, guy next to you can't trust you, he feels like he's got a cover for you. And all of a sudden, some guy gets an inside release when you needed to push him to the outside and, and you get beat. And so those are the things that I think have happened over the last couple of years. And the hope is, is that that won't happen moving forward because – there'll be more discipline when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, but that's something we're going to have to see. It's not necessarily something that, you know, I I don't think you can measure that from Louisiana other than the fact that we've seen a consistent improvement in the defense over the four years. And so you say, okay, there's good. But again, the first year their defense was terrible. So I'm not sure you're going to be able to look at the first three games of the year and go, Oh, they fixed everything. Maybe they will. But I think it's going to be a slow process. It's going to be a process of getting people in. Um, to and, and that doesn't mean that the defense won't be, you know, top 25, top 30. I think that's sort of reasonable for a Florida defense. In fact, even last year, Florida was like 40th in yards per play allowed. So it's not like they were awful overall. They were really bad against the run last year, though. And not a surprise they were bad against the run. And it turns out that running plays give up a few of you know less yards than passing plays. So I think they're a little bit overrated in terms of that yards per play just because of the way they were getting gashed. Um, but you know, so it's it's not like the, this Florida defense wasn't 110th last year. I think right. the Florida defense was bad for the for the level of player they have and for the expectations of the program. And so again, if 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 Tony can come in and improve them five or ten spots, now you're talking about a top twenty-five or a top thirty defense. And if the offense can stay even where it was last year, you're going to end up with a team that ends up around you know eight and four somewhere in that range. If both units improve significantly, then you can get better than that. But I think that's sort of the baseline. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff there. Well, more good stuff coming up here. And our good friend Bud Davis uh, in Sports Info Solutions. Um, he, he threw up a tweet uh, that I saved because uh, I knew this episode was coming up, and he threw a tweet up a couple weeks ago um, that was a statistical characteristics of Patrick Tony's 2021 Louisiana defense. Primarily a six-man box, 66% of the time a six-man box for Patrick Tony's defense. Shift to a light box 24% of the time over a heavy box only at 10% of the time. Base formation of five defensive backs. That's not much different than much you know, out there. What we've seen already seen out there, Will, by throwing the nickel in there. Um, base formation, like I said, the five DBs, even split between three defensive linemen and three linebackers, and four defensive linemen and two linebackers. So, you know, it's something we wanted to see a little bit more last year with. Look, Will, what did we say about a month ago when we looked at Florida's roster? The highest recruited position on Florida's roster is the linebacker position. So if there's three of those guys out there with as versatile as those linebackers are, okay, you can throw three three more out there. Patrick Tony last year at Louisiana split that pretty good between three defensive linemen and three linebackers compared that to four defensive linemen and two linebackers. Will, in this one right here, Almost exclusively rushes 
four. There was probably one difference there between Todd Grantham and his, I would say, antiquated defense. You know, you'd have to send he would send more than four. He'd put his defenders, his pass defense, in precarious situations because of okay, five, six guys coming. That was what Todd Grantham was known for. Was Okay, yeah, he's bringing a blitz. He's a, but it was an exotic defense. It was bringing five, six guys. You didn't maybe know, you know, where from, but you know, sending five, six guys, it left the defense in some holes uh, right here. So we'll get into it. You know, a while. You know, almost exclusively rushing four with some key terms here: simulated pressures and creepers. But before we get to simulated and pressure, simulated pressures and creepers, anything uh, will kind of just catch your eye through here. Uh, with Bud Davis and the um, Sports Info Solutions stats that they shared. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing is is that this is the direction that college football is going. So, you know, college football for a very long time was dial up the exact blitzes, get the pressure, and all of a sudden you'll be able to cause turnovers and havoc, and that's sort of the the goal. And it's not that that causing havoc isn't the goal, but as you've gotten – as you've gotten quarterbacks who are more mobile and not necessarily mobile in terms of their ability to necessarily run like Michael Vick, but mobile from the standpoint of they can manipulate the pocket, they can move around and they can make sure that you're, um, you know, they, they can get out of the grasp of somebody who's coming on a blitz. So, you know, you think about you get a free rusher. That used to be the thing. That, I mean, and obviously, if you can get a free rusher, you'd like it. But, you know, it used to be if you got a free rusher, that was the goal. Get the free rusher, and then that free rusher had to beat the quarterback. But these days, the quarterbacks are talented enough that even with the free rusher, oftentimes they're able to spin out of the, spin out of the sack and then go make a play downfield. And the minute you're able to spin out of that sack, well, now you've got a, a disadvantage on the back end and the secondary. And so – the the real philosophical difference that's that's sort of going on is is okay we're going to figure out how to get pressure with four guys we're going to we got to come up with unique ways to do that and then how do we recruit the right personnel or how do we you know draft the right personnel when it comes to the NFL in order to be able to do that sort of thing and and so that's the kind of thing that I think you're going to see when you start seeing roster builds and roster distribution um, it's why it's so important to have a guy like Shamar James, somebody who can conceivably be a three-down linebacker out there, a guy who's going to be able to excel in coverage. So that's that's sort of what I look at. I mean, you look at all the defenses that are starting to excel in the NFL, the Vic Fangio-type defenses, where you know we, we went through the, the Tampa 2 with Tony Dungy, and then that sort of went out of style, mm-hmm. and there were more Rex Ryan-type defenses that were brought in where there was a heavy emphasis on pressure and pressure packages. And now you're back to Vic Fangio, where it's a, it's – a cover to shell, but there's more stuff going on in the back end in terms of the coverages that you can present, but it's almost exclusively a four man rush. And I think Napier and you, you know, you mentioned Roberts and you mentioned Aranda and those sorts of guys are very much tied in with that sort of defense where you're giving your defensive backs help, but also trying to confuse the quarterback from where the pressure is coming from. So you can move him off of his spot and, and make him make a mistake while having gifted guys in the secondary. All right, Will, so we're talking about primarily rushing four here, not putting your defense in a bad position by bringing more you know, more, more guys than you really need to uh, to create pressures. I and mean, a lot of the defensive coordinators out there have figured out a way to only rush four, confuse quarterbacks, bring pressure, and a lot of terms, or not a lot, just a couple of terms here uh, that have really come through college football uh, the, the the last few years in, in the college football world, and not just this coaching tree, but Nick Saban in Alabama, Georgia, and Kirby Smart. You know, they use these simulated pressure and creeper terms, um, and they were key terms in, in Tony's defense. And he's went into deep detail um, 
you know, with, with that term, um, the last couple of years, you know, the 2020 brought a lot of slow time. So Patrick Tony was all over the internet and kind of just uh, writing articles uh, and one that AFCA insider that that's kind of be sourced here just a bit too. And the YouTube video that he's thrown out there where he really, really goes into detail about these simulated pressures and creepers. So the whole idea for those terms are simulating the, you know, simulating the defense is bringing max pressure, but only really trying to overload a certain aspect of protection. Well, without, without having to bring the house. So you're kind of protecting your defense uh, a, a bit here. Basically, you know, for the creeper, you're basically bringing four rushers, but making it well, for both, basically bringing four rushers, but making it look like you're bringing more before the snap of the ball. The fourth can be a linebacker. It can be a defensive back. Uh, but the thought is to keep seven defenders in coverage. So we'll kind of go into your point here. It's not just about sacks either. Tony even really – dove into that is affecting the quarterback with confusion it can lead to sacks of course but still only rushing four just make sure the quarterback doesn't know where the pressure's coming from make him feel rushed and because of that he might throw some interceptions uh without the pressure he maybe feels the pressure coming also just getting the quarterback off the spot so we'll start with simulated pressure here the illusion of sending six defenders at the snap, more of an all-out blitz look, but only three or four end up rushing from all over the field. Typically, man-free blitz, you, could, you are counting for the running back with the rush. Now, simulated pressures, it's, it's kind of catching on with the college football world. Georgia's defense the last couple of years has shifted to more using simulated pressures. Uh, and I went and looked up there. Kirby Smart has said they do it more to cut down on confusion in coverage, Will. So – while you're trying to confuse the quarterback, you're trying to not confuse your coverage here on the defense. You end up playing simpler coverages. So if you think you have the athletes, that's my that's my thing. Will with the way Georgia's been able to recruit, Florida's got some good defense. Florida's got some a lot of talent on defense. One reason you know, we've moved on from the past coaching staff. One reason Todd Grantham was fired midseason. There was more talent, better talent on the roster than what they were playing. Like Florida has the talent to to let their athletes take over. And that's what a defense like this does. I think if you have the athletes, you can recruit the athletes. This type of defense, to me, it really allows your athletes just to play and not have to think so much. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I, I think the other thing is, is this isn't a new concept. I mean, this is essentially a zone blitz, right? You're bringing somebody, you're bringing an extra guy from the left side and dropping somebody from the right side. Yep. It's just a more advanced version of that, right? It's, it's the instead of only having linebackers who can come, the safeties can come. Instead of only having safeties who can come, the corners can come. Usually not the boundary corner, though Grantham tried that a few times and got absolutely <laughs> torched when he did. Um, so, you know, the, the key there is that any guy at any time can be one of the guys who's going to bring pressure and that you can change that call based on, you know, the alignment is all the same, but then everybody's responsibility changes. Everybody's assignment, I guess, changes based on what the actual call is in terms of who's coming. And you, we talked last week a little bit about the nomenclature that they have, right? So you can change who your uh, – they didn't use Mike for the for the middle linebacker. They, money, I think, is what they used as the terminology for who serves as the middle linebacker, which then changes how those blitzes get called. So being able to efficiently call it, being able to change those sorts of things, all of that is relatively new. But this, this, isn't, a, this isn't an enormously new concept. What it really means is you end up with a guy dropping back into coverage in a um, – 
in a place where the quarterback doesn't anticipate the blitz is usually coming from that side as well, which means the quarterback is sort of trained, right? When the blitz comes from that side, you throw into the blitz because there's going to be space. There's going to be guys open, but you got somebody dropping into a zone. Still have to make the plays. I mean, you know, Grantham called an awesome one of these against uh, against Alabama last year. Mm-hmm. Brenton Cox dropped right back yep. into the lane. Bryce Young threw it right to him, and the ball bounces off of his hands, and, and then Alabama goes down and scores in that drive. And that was really probably the biggest play of the game when you think back and look at that. So you still have to make the plays, but but Cox is athletic enough to be able to to be able to execute that sort of play and get back into that passing lane and do that sort of thing. And that's one of the reasons why you're going to see a lot of hybrid safety linebackers. That's why you're going to see hybrid safety corners. It's why you're going to see guys on the defensive line who are necessarily pretty quick. Um, it's one of the, one of the things with Jordan Davis last year that I think I'll, or that, uh, that, uh, it's one of the reasons he wasn't on the field quite as much last year for Georgia is because you can't play that sort of defense when you've got a guy at defensive tackle who, you know, has to rush every time it takes away that sort of confusion. So things are going to change a little bit when Desmond Watson's on the field versus when Gervon Dexter's on the field. And those are all things that Tony will have to manage. But you know, the, the idea behind a creeper, the idea behind a simulated pressure is just, that you know you're not sending that zone fire where you bring five guys and try to get the free rusher you're just trying to get that free rusher or trying to beat the offensive line by having say four guys come on the left or four guys come on the right or you know three on the left and one on the right and and really sort of have an off we've all seen that offensive lineman who looks confused because he's not blocking anybody that's the goal <laughs> right is having an offensive lineman who's just not engaged with anybody because no one came in his particular gap but that means you've got an offensive lineman someplace else who has to cover for the fact that there's a free offensive lineman who's not doing anything. And that's sort of the goal, right? It's, it's the, the idea well, that if you bring- it's, it's, it's the other, remember playing NCAA football, if you play Madden and you got a, a lot of people would play four, three in that just because that's, you know, when we were, when I was playing NCAA and, 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 and Madden back in the day, it was more of a four three defense. That's what I'm more relied on. Yeah, fire zone. Everybody remembers the, the fire zone. You go through oh X button. There you go. And it's four down linemen and your two outside linebackers coming coming around the edges. And there you go. That was about the easiest way to to remember, you know, in basic football terms. And as you said, now it's just shifting basically making it look like that, but now it's just coming from one side of the formation. Well, and this is everything, whether you're talking about the defensive backs, whether you're talking about what he's doing with the linebackers or whether you're talking about the defensive line, Tony, in everything I've seen, has talked a lot about math and trying to get mathematical advantages by essentially scheming his guys' mathematical advantages. So we talked about this with Dan Mullen's offense all the time the last few years, where that running quarterback gives you a mathematical advantage because you now no longer, you have to account for that guy in the running game. So you get an advantage. Well, think about it. If you bring four down linemen and there's five offensive linemen, somewhere somebody's getting double teamed. If you bring pressure in a way where the offensive line doesn't know what's coming and you overload one side or the other, and one of the offensive linemen doesn't engage with anybody, well, now you've got four on four. So you just gained the numbers advantage you would have gained with a blitz, right? You bring a fifth guy and now it's one-on-one with those five offensive linemen, you gain an advantage. But what Tony's trying to do is he's trying to scheme that advantage without having to bring that extra guy. And then you still have to win the one-on-one battles up front and you still have to win the battles back in coverage, but you're not at a disadvantage if you don't get to the quarterback. In that case, you got the one-on-one matchup you wanted from the blitz, but you didn't actually have to blitz. And that's sort of the, that's sort of the key in the goal. Uh, Well, so 
Oh, I went over simulated pressure. You introduced creeper just a bit as well, but creeper and but and, and another term for that replace blitzes. And as we said, this is more for a traditional fire zone. Simulated pressure more for man defense. Creeper more for traditional fire zone pattern or blitz. Sending five rushers to fire zone. You know, said sending five rushers with other defenders dropping into zone coverage. With creepers in play, now you're sending a non-traditional unknown rusher from second level depth. And most of the time for this one, it was a slot corner or a linebacker uh, when you're looking at uh, the creeper uh, coming in and being that fourth guy. The player from a non-traditional rush position and, uh, and is replacing a blitzer that is in a traditional – and here, here's where it, it gets pretty uh, – the, well, the, the part that I like it. So you're rushing a player from a non-traditional rush position, replacing a blitzer that is in a traditional – and probably already identified from the offensive line or the quarterback. And the goal is to cause conflict, confusion, and protection. Like you said, creeper, four-man rushes that attack an aspect of the protection or blocking scheme by overloading a player or side. By only sending four in the rush, the coverage isn't compromised like a traditional fire zone. So Will explained it. That's how Patrick Tony explained it. But here's some of the benefits. Will, you don't sacrifice the coverage for rush. You get the happy medium between blitzing to create pressure or tackle for loss. You know, this plays into the run game as well. Uh, without this, So goes there. They give 10 of your 11 defenders a legitimate threat of rushing on any down. I thought I, I like the way to, you know, to don't, Tony basically put that simplified approach out there. The only one who can't rush is the field corner. They present multiple post-snap variables for the quarterback to determine. And the last one, they can be run with both one high, two high zone coverages. So when running a creeper, you're still playing traditional coverage. In Tony's case, he says, playing either four under, three deep zone, basically cover three, or five under, two deep zone, a lot of quarters coverage there. So playing traditional coverage while still bringing pressure maximizes your time coaching. Since you're running the same coverage you play on base downs, there's minimal new learning for your players, which allows them to rep, become proficient at the techniques, pattern reads, and matches of the coverage. So, Will, I think if we're looking for a maybe more simplified approach, how Florida can get better from 2020-2021 defense to year one under Patrick Tony, minimal learning, making it look the same, but it is a little different. Yeah, I mean, and we'll we'll get to the secondary, I'm sure. But um, you know, I guess I jumped the gun a little bit on the creepers there. But oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the again, this isn't new. You, you think back to Peyton Manning, who really struggled with three four defenses and really struggled with Dick LeBeau, Dick LeBeau, and you know, multiple times against the Patriots, he struggled multiple times against I think it was the Chargers and then certainly the Steelers was sort of Peyton Manning's kryptonite early on in his career. And the reason is, is that you see something pre-snap, you make an adjustment, and that's not what it was. And so, you know, the defense is able to disguise what it's doing because of that, exactly what you said, known rushers versus unknown rushers. And in the old 3-4 where you're running the where you're running the zone blitz in the Dick LeBeau, that was usually the linebacker and the defensive lineman who were switching roles. And all of a sudden, you were getting the Peyton Manning, moving him off of his spot, but the coverage was still in a particular was where it was supposed to be if you'd have just been rushing four guys traditionally. And and this, I think, is sort of the difference when you think about where defenses have gone. 
is if you think about the defensive linemen as sort of the level one rushers, you think of the linebackers as the level two rushers, and you think of the safeties and the corners as level three rushers. The goal here is to no longer have that categorization, right? The goal is you've got everybody up. In fact, I saw a really good article by, uh, uh, by a guy who used to be on Baylor's, uh, Baylor's defensive staff <laughs> trying to defend the air raid. And he was the the article was talking about this particular stuff where and he was looking at the Miami Dolphins and they had they looked like they were in a cover zero against four wide so they had four essentially two corners and two safeties covering each of the guys and then everybody else was up at the line of scrimmage so the offense had no idea who was coming and it could be everybody or it could be nobody and if you get cover zero there are some very distinct things you want to do and it's usually get the ball out quick it's usually some sort of slant. You know, those, or you're going sort of deep on a fade, those sorts of things, right? But you try to run a slant when you've got guys coming back into that zone, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there, there's a throw right into somebody's breadbasket and you get a turnover, and the offensive line doesn't know who's coming and all those sorts of things. Now, I will say the one weakness of this particular defense, or at least one of the things I can envision as being a weakness, is you get hit by a counter in the right, you know, it, yeah. it, you've got, you've got one <laughs> side of the defense collapsing and the other side is rushing and you get hit in the right. You know, if the call is made right, you might mm-hmm. get caught in some situations where you just don't have enough guys at the line of scrimmage. And you know, the offense is trying to do the same thing. And if you got four guys coming off the left and all of a sudden there's a pulling guard coming around and there's just nobody there. Well, that turns into an explosive running play. And so that is the weakness to this sort of thing. I know, you know, depending upon who you talk to and depending upon how they're calling things um, you know, there's a lot of charting that goes on trying to understand the tendencies of the, of the opposing offenses to make sure you understand when are they going to pass? When are they going to run? What kind of runs do they do? All that sort of stuff. And we talked last week about sort of the different zones that Napier has Mm -hmm. in terms of his play calling. Well, you can bet that they've done the exact same thing on the defensive side of the ball, except they've charted those zones for the opposition. And so you think about like the advanced scouts, you think about all the analysts, what they're doing is giving Patrick Tony information to help him know what to call when, because the last thing you want to do is overload one side and then, the, then, then, then you got a counter going the other direction and, and that turns well, into well, a big it, play. Yeah. And going to your point there, just think about how much your play calling changes when you get to that fringe area that we talk about when you're a defensive coordinator and an offense gets into that fringe area. What do you want to do? You call in plays to knock them out of field goal range. You know, you don't want them to get any points uh, when, when, when they get into that fringe area. So you start seeing a little more aggressive, trying to get that quarterback tra- sack, try to get that tackle for loss to get those opposing offenses out of uh, field goal range, out of, out of scoring point range. And yeah, your offense is going to react to that. Knowing defense are going to bring more pressure in those situations, hoping they can get a big play out of it. Yeah, well, and Bud didn't break it down in terms of down and distance, and nor nor do I think he needed to. But I suspect that oftentimes when when Tony was bringing five or six, it was in a situation where the field was shorter. Right, that's one of the things in the red zone. If you if you put seven guys in coverage in the red zone, it's very difficult to fit the ball in there for the quarterback. But if you don't get to the quarterback, eventually you have an opportunity to, to beat that coverage. And, and you know, that is an opportunity then to maybe bring more guys because you've got less actual ground to cover. And so when you get into, you know, the red zone or what they call it, the gold zone when they're like at the 10 yard line and in. Yeah. Um, when you start looking at those particular areas, that's when you do have the opportunity to bring more people or maybe have an opportunity to bring more people because of that. But one of the other things I think is that's interesting that I've heard Tony say though, is you got to be willing to bring the house. 
right? You, you can't just sit there and go, oh, I'm going to run simulated pressures. And it's interesting from those numbers. I mean, 66% of the time he's bringing four guys. So he is running these simulated pressures or creepers an awful lot of the time. At the same time, it is only two thirds of the time, which means a third of the time you're bringing you're bringing extra guys. And so the offensive line can't just relax and go, oh, well, there's only always going to be four guys coming. There might be an opportunity for you to send five, for you to send six to get that free rusher to the quarterback. And there you're going to get him, right? Because in that capacity, or at least you need to get him, because in that capacity, it's not something the offensive line has seen. Is the running back going to leak out and not necessarily pick up pass protection, all those sorts of things? So if this is a game of bluffing, right? I mean, you can set mm-hmm. up those four-man, you can set up those one-on-one rushes by simulating and doing the doing the creepers and and faking that you're going to blitz. But if all you ever do is fake blitz, it doesn't do the job. So at some point you got to bring it all. And that's really the trick. And I think this is one of the things that was Steve Spurrier's genius, at least on the offensive side of the ball. He always knew when that was coming. <laughs> from, from the opposition and was able to have the perfect play call against it. And so that's Man, that, one that, of the that things. Running back, that running back draw, he would call it, just at the absolute perfect time would get me every time. I was like, man, he, Spurrier's in his bag. When, when, when Spurrier hit that running back draw, you knew, you knew he was in his bag. I, we, we knew the pet deep passes were going to be there. But when Steve Spurrier could hit that running back draw, that, I, that's when I look at, yep, ball game's over. <laughs> well, and that running back draw then sets up Mills to go deep on that post down the middle and all those different things. And so, um, you know, look, Spurrier was a genius and he knew when to call what. Some of that was because he'd been a player and been an elite player himself, right? So he had sort of a feel for it. Um, again, I think he's doing it more feel. I bet you Napier and Tony have an awful <laughs> lot of statistics behind what they're calling when. And really, one of the things you got to look at when you look at those numbers is you've got to look at your tendencies, right? Yep. And sometimes breaking your tendencies, even though it's not necessarily what you've coached or what you think is the best thing to do overall, you're going to need to break your tendencies along the way. Because let's be honest, every other team is probably doing the same stuff, right? In terms of charting this sort of stuff, looking and seeing what does Florida like to do in in different situations and those sorts of things. And so you're going to have to break your tendencies from time to time. But I think the goal is still pure, right? The goal is you want to create a conflict on the offense in the protection. You want to create a conflict in the head of the quarterback so that the quarterback looks at his hot read and goes, oh, that hot read's not open. Now, if he's got time then to move to his second read, a lot of times that guy's going to be open, but you've still got sort of the full, you've got the full integrity of either the zone or the man coverage behind it, as opposed to just having a gaping hole, which is what you'd have normally when the guy gets to that second read. And the hope is, is that you get him to move off of his spot, which allows the zone to close or allows the man coverage to to close. And then you're able to to get in there and break up the pass or even get a turnover. So, you know, that that's that to me is sort of the, the key here is, and really the thing you want to watch for when you're watching a Tony offense is those defensive linemen are going to have to win some one-on-one battles. And so yeah. it's not, you know, if you get stuck, stoned four on four this defense is gonna get shredded i mean yep. that, that's just like any other defense is gonna get shredded if you can't get pressure with four because it means you're gonna have to bring five and the minute you bring five then they'll have an opportunity to take advantage of you and we'll we'll get into it in a couple of weeks we'll do offense next week we'll do defense the week after as we kind of do our spring roster uh breakdown but that is one worry spot for me is besides gervin dexter up front his defensive line in that true defensive line role who are you pointing to to go out there and have a lot of production because he's about the only one who's been there producing year in and year out over the last couple of years. So something we'll get into uh, in a couple of years and maybe a struggle spot 
there for the Gators. So, all right, Will, as we wrap up here in this past happy game, of course, we have to go to the secondary. That's where Tony's specialty is. You know, he's been in that safety role, uh, coaching safeties as a, an assistant in the, when he was brought over to Louisiana and then taken over as def- co-defensive coordinator or co-defensive coordinator here at Florida, but also defensive coordinator at Louisiana, but still coaching safeties at the same time. Secondary has become even more important, Will, in this past happy game, of course. So Tony uh, shared with his, his, the way he coaches defensive backs. Uh, and Tony has a progression starting with eye progression. Scan is the first part. Get the signal from the sideline. Well, look, we, we even know that's important uh, coming from the last couple of years for this Florida defense. So <laughs> first you got to get the signal from the sideline. But then, of course, you know, know you're down in distance. Uh, the formation the offense is in, the split of the wide receivers, which wide receivers are on the ball, off the ball, and then game plan specific information. So Tony says, you know, after getting the signal, those are the items in the scan. Zoom, scan, zoom, and snap. So zoom next is the next portion of the eye progression. Zoom, now you heard us talk about this earlier. He wants his defensive backs to zoom into your primary key of run or pass. And then snap is the final step of eye progression. Snap eyes to the secondary key. All those steps are to make sure the job is done right. Scan, zoom, snap. That's what he wants his defensive backs to start off out with, Will. Yeah, I mean, look, I already mentioned that I love the idea of of the clarity of a primary key and a secondary key, especially in an RPO world, I think is is really important. And then, you know, it comes down to numbers. I mean, as a defensive back, you know your assignment, but also you're trying – just like you're trying to trick – the offensive line to give you a four on four matchup instead of a four on five matchup. You're trying to do the same thing on the defensive side of the field, right? You're trying to convince a quarterback that he should go in one direction and instead can, and instead when he goes that direction, Oh, there's an extra, there's an extra guy over there. You've actually got the double team going in that direction. So there's a big part of just the numbers and the math. And again, trying to sort of shrink the field. And if you can take away a guy or two guys on the offensive side of the field, just by scheme, then all of a sudden you've constricted the the operating window for the quarterback and you've constricted exactly what he's going to be able to do um, with the different progressions that he has. So it's not perfect. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, some of this is guessing, right? And that's one of the yeah. things that I think we need to we need to acknowledge is that the goal of the simulated pressures, the goal of the creepers, the goal of making sure that you understand exactly what you need to do for all of your different assignments is to make sure that even if you screw up, the play is sort of in front of you and you're able to take advantage of that and able to have somebody back there to stop the play. And so I suspect that we're going to see less big plays against Florida's defense, certainly ones where, you know, the ball gets up, there's a missed tackle and all of a sudden there's nobody else around. I don't think that's going to happen near as much in 2022 as it has the last couple of years. All right. Tony went on to explain his fundamentals uh, and the next step in him teaching are the fundamentals. Four categories for Tony. First is alignment, same stance, every snap. So you're not giving away what type of coverage you're playing. I've, Oh, well, I, 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 I like that one. And it, that got me thinking is like how often we go back and, and, and watch a game. Can we, you know, where the cornerback is basically giving away where he's shaded, what type of coverage he's giving away. All that can really, you know, hurt a defense and give a quarterback too many clues 
about how to it can give the whole defense away about how just one defensive back is going to align. Uh, also under the alignment category is depth and leverage. How deep does the player need to be to get the job done? How can the defensive back gain an advantage? Secondary category is eye discipline. What's going then that's going back to the primary secondary keys. We explained that earlier in the episode. Footwork, the third category in fundamentals. The defender needs to have eye and feet in sync. Primary key needs to have primary footwork. Depending on what your primary key is, that dictates what footwork to start with. And then to the transition, the transition to your secondary key. Your secondary key determines your transition. Then as Tony says, the finish is the most important. That's back to the block destruction, the takeaway, pass breakup, tackle, very detailed aspects of how to finish play, where, how to tear off blocks, different forms of pass breakups will, how and where to make a tackle, how to create different types of turnovers, whether you're punching the ball, whether you're poking at the ball, whether you rip and you, you're pulling at the ball, all that stuff, you know, they're very detailed and just these little aspects where well, they seem basic, you know, alignment, I just went footwork, finish. Tony goes into great detail and they practice, you know, where they're at on the field, where the offense is at on the field, where they're trying to make a tackle, where they're trying to make a play. There's a specific way to do it where you're at on the field. Yeah. I mean, again, after looking at Napier's, um, attention to detail. It's not a surprise that his defensive coordinator is similar in terms of his attention to detail. And look, these aren't new concepts for the players. No, right? no. The new, the new play, the, the players have been doing these things for years. The question is, have they been taught this clearly? And have they been taught this directly, these different principles? And I think the big thing here is your alignment is the same on every play, but you need to understand what you're trying to do with the receiver. One of the things I really liked in, in this particular segment when he was talking about defensive backs is, is that you want to be big and you want to be in front of the receiver. Basically, that, that you think of it as like two jets that are coming at each other and somebody's going to play chicken. And the idea is to force the receiver, if he wants to get outside, that he has to go so wide to go outside, especially if your job is to force him back to the middle, that he has to go so wide to the outside that completely destroys the timing with the quarterback. And if he goes inside, he's going inside because you forced him there and you've got help there on the inside. So knowing what your assignment is, knowing where you have help on the defense, and then being big in front of the receiver and making the receiver play chicken, making him move outside of where he wants to go so that you can then get the... uh, so that you get them off the timing. I think that's a big deal. I I guarantee you Florida's receivers did not, or Florida's (laughs) cornerbacks have not done that very well the last couple of years, right? It's been sort of a a drop step and trail and then try to high point the ball. And that hasn't been all that successful in this case. If you can drive them off of the timing, then when the ball's thrown up there, Hey, the, the quarterback didn't throw it to the right spot or, you know, it's a little bit short and it gives the corner an opportunity to jump up and knock it down or even intercept it. Or the ball comes out late because he's waiting for somebody to get to the spot and that allows the safety to come over and make a play. All those different things that are all tied to the footwork and the discipline of making sure that you make the receiver go where you want the receiver to go based on what the defense is supposed to do. And, we, and, and it looks like aggressive defensive back play when you play it like that. You know, how many times do we see defenders – Nowhere near a wide receiver when they're trying to catch the ball. You know, Florida couldn't create turnovers because there was no DB in the area of trying to make 
you know, even I mean, they would have to run up to even try and make a tackle. I mean, nowhere even near trying to make a play on the ball and trying to get an interception. You know, Florida's defensive backs have not been aggressive. And Tony, when he was talking about that, it's like, look, yeah, you're you're trying to stop the momentum of the wide receiver. Make him run through you. Kind of like a charge in basketball. That's kind of he had a picture of Kobe Bryant when he when he showed this uh, up when he when he threw it up and he talked about, you know, make him run through you. You stand you're you're standing up there. I did like that too. You know, you're throwing off the time. You're throwing off their timing because you're trying to stop their momentum. Well, the other thing is it's a level of teaching, because you know I think it was Quincy Lenton who, after he graduated in 2020, came back and some people interviewed him about why the corners for Florida were so far off the ball, and he's like, I don't know. That's not what I was taught. And so they had either changed fundamentally what they were teaching or the players weren't getting the teaching from the staff. And again, I, I don't know that any of this is necessarily like extraordinarily ground groundbreaking, earth shattering. Nobody else does this sort of stuff. The thing that impresses me, or at least the thing that seems to have impressed me off the, off the jump is that they're explaining it in a way that's simple enough for me to understand. <laughs> which means that it, it 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 should be simple enough for these guys who've been playing football for the last 18 years of their life to understand as well. And so if you understand sort of at a high level what you're trying to achieve, then all of the things that cascade down from that make sense because you understand that goal. So you understand your, your sort of, you know, your North Star shining light, what are you trying to accomplish? And so now the approach that the coach is trying to get you to take makes sense. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that, uh, that we're going to see very quickly, not necessarily that the corners don't play off the ball sometimes, but that when they play off the ball, there's a reason they're playing off the ball, right? And that they will have a technique that allows them to break on a hitch. And so the hitch will be, you know, a five-yard gain. You give it up on, say, it's second and 13, right? You don't mind giving up a six-yard gain on a hitch. What you want to make sure you don't do is get beat on some intermediate route. And those are the sorts of things that uh, that I think we'll see as the season progresses. All right. Good stuff, Will, man. Last couple of weeks here, offense last week, defense this week. Kind of, look, this is what we – we saw before. Now, will we see this at Florida? That's that's going to be the magic question. How much will we see this at Florida? As Will said, look, there's numbers out there. Okay, Patrick Tony likes to just send four on a rush 66% of the time. Does that change with the type of athletes he has at Florida? Does he – all right, now this guy – I didn't have this type of talent in Louisiana. I know this guy can make this sack. He's fast enough. I didn't have a guy at Louisiana that can make the play in the backfield like this. This guy can. Will he blitz that guy a little bit more? So, Will, I'm eager to see how much changes, how much stays the same with the level of talent you have at Florida. Does he change some things? Now, look, it's been successful at Louisiana. You don't want to reinvent the wheel here. But I do think, you know, given a, a talent profile Florida has, a talent profile Florida has in certain positions – and maybe even lacking in certain positions, as I mentioned on the defensive line, there might be some changes uh, in Patrick Tony. He may have to bring five and six guys more just because of talent at Florida has at linebacker, buck, outside linebacker, compared to what Florida has up front. It's a great point. I mean, you look at the Rams this year. The Super Bowl was won because Aaron Donald's a really, really good player. And Cincinnati did not have an offensive line that was able to handle Donald, especially when they were able to make some adjustments there in the second half. You think yeah, back I mean, to for whatever reason, you had to go tick him off in the second half too on gets the, on the sideline, and then he goes crazy for the rest of the game. <laughs> well, but even you know, you think back to the Tampa two with with uh, with Dungy in Tampa Bay. That's successful because you have a guy like Derek Brooks who's able to drop 
you know, into that zone right down the middle in a way that's incredibly unique for his skill set. You think about the defense that was able to work in Indianapolis where you have Dwight Freeney coming off the edge, and then you got Bob Sanders at safety. Look, if Kamari Wilson is as good as Bob Sanders, and if Brenton Cox can be as good as Dwight Freeney, I don't know that you need all this trickery, right? At some point, you can just win one-on-one on the outside. You don't have to worry about it. But until you have the talent where you can just win one-on-one, you're going to have to do things schematically. And, and honestly, the more you can set up those guys to be one-on-one, the more often they don't have to beat a double team and all those sorts of things. But you know, one way to beat a double team or one way to really cause havoc is if you had a guy like Desmond Watson, and I think he was listed at 415 last year on the Florida, uh, you know, on the Florida uh, program. I mean, if he gets in that, 340, 350, 360 range where he's sort of in that Jordan Davis size. That guy's really quick. I, mean, I was really impressed with what Desmond Watson was able to do on the on the field last year as a true freshman. And I know there's some, you know, Gravon Dexter is the guy at defensive tackle that we think of, and he's the guy who's certainly gotten the most opportunity there. But if Watson drops enough weight to where he can take on two blockers, because this is the, you know, the the old school theory in this stuff was have a defensive tackle who takes two blockers and then you've got one-on-one on the other three guys who are coming. Right. And so you don't need to do creepers and simulated pressures and all that sort of stuff. If the defensive tackle can just take up everybody there on the inside. And so depending, and, and this just goes to your point, right? That depending upon the level of talent you have depends on whether you want to do that, because if you've got really great athletes who can either rush or play in coverage, then simulated pressures and creepers work really, really well. But if you've got a strength on the defensive line and you're able to win those battles up front, then you're probably better off leaving your linebackers and your safeties in coverage rather than dropping a defensive lineman into coverage or dropping even a defensive tackle into coverage. Um, That does put you like it gives you seven guys, but those aren't the seven guys that you would necessarily pick to have in coverage every Mm -hmm. single time if you had your druthers about it. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more talent you have, the less you have to do this stuff. But the more you're able to do these sorts of things, the more you free up that talent to really excel. And that's sort of, you know, we always talk about the coach putting the um, putting the players in a position to succeed. That was a big thing for Mullen on offense. And I think, to be honest, in the first couple of years, when you looked at Felipe Franks, you looked at Kyle Trask, he was able to do that pretty well, right? Put the players in a position to succeed. Last couple of years, not so much, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. That'll be Tony's job is identifying what he has and then making sure that the scheme that he puts in place takes advantage of the talent that he has. And so you look at it and I think they're going to have a really strong secondary this year. I think Mm -hmm. the guys like Rashad Torrance and Travez Johnson and Jason Marshall and all those guys who are young, but got a lot of experience last year. You think about the safety every, or you think about the secondary, the only people, the only person who got major starts last year, who's not coming or major minutes last year, who's not coming back is Kyrie Elam. And so if Marshall can step into that role and if you get, you know, major playing time from Jadarius Perkins or Avery Helm or or Jadon Hill or or Tradeen or those guys, all of a sudden now you've got a secondary that's got a lot of experience and you've got a secondary that's sort of gone through the growing pains and now they're being put in the right position to succeed from Patrick Tony, And you can see a defense that would really take a step up given those sorts of things, at least on the back end. And again, I think it's important to realize where Florida was last year. So the defense, I was really surprised when I looked at this. The defense was um, was 85th in yards per rush allowed against FBS opponents. And I knew they weren't great against the run, mm-hmm. but I didn't think they were really that bad. I mean, they were bad all year long when you look right, at the run. Right, because if you go and think about it, I mean, you, you point to two games. You point to the LSU game, you point to the South Carolina game. 
besides that, you didn't really think it was all that bad. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't great. I'm not trying to sit here and, and give kudos to a Florida defense, but you know, you really think about those two games, and honestly, just thinking back about it, yeah, you didn't really seem that far down, but those two games really, you know, shifted to seesaw the other way. Yeah, but here's the thing: they were 18th overall in yards per pass attempt. So you the all the guys who are coming back in the secondary are guys who contributed to a defense that was actually really good against the pass. Now there were a few big plays they gave up and some things that you'd like to see them do better. And and 18th isn't top five. I mean, I'm not saying they're an elite defense, but what that really means is if they can figure out how to be more physical and really improve against the run, this defense can jump from being, say, 40th overall in yards per play up into that 18th to 20th range. And if we see them up in the 18th to 20th range, there's no way this team isn't winning eight games and you know that that would be a really successful first season I think for Patrick Tony beyond that I think a lot of the guys who are in the secondary you know you're still going to have another year from Jason Marshall hopefully you've got guys like Carmani McLean coming in next year Um, you know and, and so all of a sudden you're able to build by saying hey we had these sort of weaknesses and now we're bringing in these better players to to fill those weaknesses but there's still a lot of talent on Florida and the coach and the coaching of Corey Raymond (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, you know, it, it's not a coincidence. I don't think that on 24 seven, they compare Cormani McLean to, uh, to greedy Williams. And <laughs> so I suspect that's the same comparison that Florida's coaches are using in their sales job to, to McLean as well, beyond just the, uh, the happy birthday videos and that sort of stuff. So, um, <laughs> Now, look, I, I think Florida's defense from a pass perspective is going to be pretty good next year. The question I have is what's their defensive line going to do? And you already brought that up, right? Not just a defensive tackle, I think, but a defensive end as well. And then also the linebackers who are going to have to fill those roles because if you're running a 3-4, one of those linebackers, you know, the jack or the buck or whatever you call it, one of those linebackers essentially functions as a defensive lineman. And so not only are we measuring sacks, but we got to measure how often are you getting a guy back in the backfield. And fu- and you know, interestingly enough, that was actually, I think, the thing I loved most about Jonathan Grenard. It felt like he was making big plays on running plays mm-hmm. just about as often as he was actually getting to the quarterback. And it's been a while since we've had a guy like that at Florida, yep. a guy who could win that one-on-one battle, get off the block, get to the running back and bring him down, or win that one-on-one battle, get off the block and move the quarterback off his spot. Again, not necessarily always getting the sack, but getting that quarterback off his spot and making him antsy back there. And then maybe the throws a little bit high. All right. Yep. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited for this change on defense. As we said, you know, still there's a lot similar to what, you know, at least alignment and some, whether it's a, a buck or you call him a Jack and it's still got that same position. There's still a nickel a lot. I mean, it, it will look similar in some ways uh, to Todd Granson, but like I said, a much cleaner being able, it being taught the right way, some of these uh, different um, things we've talked about through here. There will be some similarities. There will be some differences, but hopefully at least just the basics. You get the basics down, this Florida defense will go a long way uh, in, in being better. And that's kind of what we kind of explained here. Patrick Tony going through some of the basics and how he teaches and what he wants his defensive backs, where he wants his defensive players to look at when they're on the field. So, Will, good stuff there. What you got uh, coming up at Reading Reaction this week? Well, we'll see. It kind of depends on what happens in this Florida Vanderbilt game. It's 47 to 44 right now, <laughs> like 15 minutes left. I might have to write a Mike White article, depending upon what's <laughs> going on. But uh, no, so I'm actually taking a look at Billy Napier in his last couple of years there at uh, at Louisiana. It's interesting when you go back and look at it. He had, he had, <laughs> he had I think, 14 one-score games in the last mm. two years he was there. 
And that's sort of been the the bugaboo here at Florida in terms of, you know, Dan Mullen has a lot of success in one score games first couple of years, obviously one and four this past year. Same thing with Jim McElwain, his first two years, very successful in one score games and then not as successful there in 2017, clearly. And so the question is, is the, you know, is the Sunbelt win, um, is the success in the Sunbelt Conference, is that a little bit of a mirage based on, you know, Napier being successful in these close games or is the success in close games sort of indicative of his coaching acumen? And that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at. Well, one thing that just crossed my mind, so keep this in mind for that. For each, if, you, if you go through each of those games, how big was the lead in those games? Was it like a one-score game the entire time? Was he up a couple scores and the team come back? Or were they down a couple scores and they came back to make it? You know, I, that's For whatever reason, that just crept in my head there. Uh, well, about, so put it this how, way, how I looked. I looked at college football data and they have uh, expected it's called win expectancy, which mm-hmm. is basically mm-hmm. if you replayed the game based on the EPA per play, how often would they win? And put it this way, the Louisiana win expectancy for their three point win over Nichols or I'm sorry, three point loss over Nichols was uh, or no, they won the game against Nichols was 23%. And then their, um, their eight point win over Georgia Southern was 16% was their win expectancy. So there's a couple of clunkers in there that we're going to have to talk about, um, which again, I don't think necessarily negates Napier's abilities as a yeah, coach, yeah. but I think it's interesting to look back at it and say, look, if you expect this guy to be a savior, here are the things that we want to make sure that we're paying attention to as the season's going on. Again, if you go eight and four and you go two and two in one score games, no big deal. If you go eight and four and you go four and oh in one score games, well that indicates you were probably more of a six and sixteen. And you know that that I think is actually a good thing heading into Florida's season this year is they were six and seven last year, but one and four in one score games. You would expect them to go, you know, two and three, three and two in those games. So really you're looking at an eight win team sort of minimum baseline in terms of last year. And I think that's kind of what you see when you look at the stats. So again, if, if Tony can improve the defense, if the offense can kind of stay where it is, or if Anthony Richardson can get the offense to take a step up, then I think you're, you're looking at a team that can really be pretty successful and make some noise in the sec, obviously pending, you know, getting off to a good start and you've got Utah and Kentucky right out of the shoot. So it's a little bit of a, um, you know, it's one of those things where once you get that momentum rolling, it's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending upon what happens those first couple of weeks. All right, good stuff there from Will. Looking forward to that at readandreaction.com and on YouTube, Read and Reaction as well. So next couple of weeks, we'll bring Nick Newton in. Will, we got to figure that schedule out, by the way. So uh, we'll try and figure that out. But we'll do what we did last year when we kind of went down the roster. Uh, we did it a little earlier last year, but now because of all of the coaching change and stuff, we've kind of shifted that. And we'll do more of a spring football preview, spring roster. We'll go through position by position. We'll go through offense first. We'll do defense uh, the very next episode after that. So a lot of good stuff there coming up as the Gators will be kicking off spring practice in a couple of weeks, Will. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up uh, with spring football on the horizon. So, all right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readingreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.